that February 29th date is not a joke, I take it. Am I on here? Test, one, two, test, nothing. I'm on here, so am I good? Okay. Welcome. How's everybody doing? Okay. Man, that was, that was not great, guys. Like, how's everybody doing? Anybody doing okay? Good? Whoa, there we go. That's a little better. A whistle. Awesome. Welcome to Skyline. My name's Jonathan, and uh, I'm excited to keep going through the Sermon on the Mount this morning. And I'm really excited to say we're dealing with uh, much less intense, controversial topics than uh, sex and divorce, uh, like the last two weeks. So you're welcome. Jesus, thank Jesus, because he went, he moved on. So we'll move on too. Um, I think it might have been the most clinched church audience I've ever spoke to. Like everybody was about an inch higher on their seat. Everybody just sitting there like, when is this going to be over? Um, So anyways, uh, thank you for uh, engaging, and I just, I, I just, one of the things I love about this church body over its history, and many of you haven't been here that long, but one of the things that we've always done is just not avoid hard topics, and uh, it takes a special group of people to sit and listen and engage in difficult things, um, but that's the way of Jesus, paying attention, and that's, that's what I want to say this morning. I want to remind us that Jesus came into the world to call a new people into being. That's why he came, to call into being a new people the kingdom of God, a people who would be shaped by his life and teachings, a people willing to be renewed from the inside out, a people who would be radically transformed by his presence, by his manifest presence, by his grace and his mercy, people who are desperate to know and love and serve him. That means that we as a community, we've been called uh, to learn the way of Jesus, right? We've learned a way of being in the world, and when we come to Jesus and he moves in, we actually have to relearn how to live, if you've ever watched anybody who's had, a, had like a severe injury and they have to relearn how to walk, that's the way it is. When you come to Christ, you don't come to him like ready-made, right? He's just like, oh, I got saved, now I'm ready to run with Jesus. It's like, no, 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 no. You actually have to relearn all these things. And the early church would call it uh, the reflex. Your reflexes have to be reshaped. That's why Jesus is going through the Sermon on the Mount and he's trying to disciple you in your reflexes. Like, we're gonna hit it in a couple weeks. Like, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, right? You strike me, I strike you back. Our reflex is to pay violence for violence. And Jesus says, not so with you. You're going to learn new reflexes. Somebody's going to slap you and you're going to turn the other cheek. And so what we have to see is Christianity is not just a set of beliefs. It's not something you intellectually assent to. It's something you're completely transformed by a whole new way to be human in the world. And when it's done that way, it's amazing how attractive Christianity is. And it's amazing how unattractive Christianity is when it's just in the mind. How easily rejected it is. So we come here every week to remind ourselves that the way of Jesus isn't secret and it's not elusive. It's plain and it's available if, if it's difficult at the same time. But there is no other way to follow him. Um, when I was in Israel for the first time, I took a trip and the guy who led our trip had gotten his master's degree at Hebrew University And he had this really famous scholar who taught a class and he was talking about Jesus and this guy was like leading Old Testament scholar in the world. He he read the Gospels once and basically memorized them. That's the kind of mind this man had. And he said he would literally just quote from the Gospels, just huge swaths and he wasn't a Christian. He was like a hyper-Orthodox Jew. But he made this statement. He said, for those of you who are Christians in here, if you don't read the Gospels once a week, you're a liar. And he said, everybody's like... 
Because he said, if Jesus is your Messiah and your rabbi, you would be obsessed with his words. Every word that ever came out of his mouth, every teaching he gave about your body, about money, about your words, about your time, about all these things, you would want to know it all and have it all hidden in your heart, ready to activate at a moment's notice. And it's one of those things where I think it's just this admonition to pay attention. Um, Yesterday I came back from a trip and I'm at the airport and I'm pulling up to the uh, thing where you pay for your parking and I just wasn't paying attention and so I put my ticket in and then I expected the parking thing to be like they are kind of downtown the garages where you put your card in the same place you put your ticket in. But it's not, you're supposed to put your card in this other little thing that literally is almost camouflaged into it. And so I put my card in, it's like, ticket not read. I'm sitting there, I'm so ready to be home. I'm tired, I'm just like, and it's like, spits it out. And I'm like, what? I put the card back in, it's, and it's like, no, nope, that's not it. I'm, and I'm just sitting there going, are you serious? Like, after all this, I'm not going to be able to pay my ticket. I'm going to have to like, go inside. And finally, I put the card in one more time, and it literally like, spits it out, and it hits the side of my truck and falls on the ground. So now I've got to like, get out of my truck. <laughs> it's like, go on the ground, and you know, the people are just pulling through like, what is that guy doing? And I just realized, I finally got and I looked closer and I was like, oh, you're supposed to put your card over here and the ticket goes in there. And I'm like, I just wasn't paying attention. And I, and I, I felt this morning as I, I prayed over this and just thinking about the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is just asking us to pay close attention to his words, to really take them in, really try to understand them, really try to know how to not just know them or memorize them, but how to live them out. Um, there's a great book called The Patient Ferment of the Early Church, which has been uh, re-recommended to me. I read it a few years ago. It's really powerful. In the last month, it's come up a bunch of times. Highly recommended. But it, it details how the early church won over the Roman Empire. How did the early church go from 120 people in an upper room to half the Roman Empire in 300 years? Like, how did that happen? And, and this book says the, the, the most astonishing thing about this is that it, it happened not in the way that we would think, the early church did almost no, almost zero public evangelism. After the age of the apostles, after, after Paul was gone, they didn't stand on the street corners anymore and preach. They didn't do hardly any public ministry. In a lot of ways, uh, early churches, a lot of them, they actually forbade um, the telling of the secrets of the gospel in public because persecution was so bad. They said, actually, no, no, like, like you'll just keep it secret and their, their point in all this was, is what we'll do is we'll live such good lives amongst these people. We'll live so counterculturally in the world that people will begin to be curious. They'll begin to ask questions. We'll look so different from the world. They deeply and profoundly embodied the teachings of Jesus. They read the Sermon on the Mount over and over and over again and said, what would it look for us, like for us to actually do that in real time in the world They taught it in their community, they held each other accountable to it, and they made this kind of formation central to being a Christian. So one of the questions they would ask you is, can you perform the commands of Jesus? Before they'd receive you into the church, before you could sit down in the church and do worship, listen to a sermon, take communion, they would ask you, are you willing to live the way of Jesus? Are you willing to love and sacrifice for the poor? Are you willing to keep your body pure? Are you willing to share your resources really generously? Are you willing to visit the sick? Are you willing to pick up babies that have been exposed on the side of the road, pick them up and bring them home? Are you willing to do these things? And they would say, if you're not, then you don't want to actually be a follower of Jesus. And I know for us that sounds like crazy, right? Because we're just going like, whoa, that sounds like a lot. But we have to know that that's just what it meant then to be a Christian. And they would say, if you don't live the way of Jesus, you're not a Christian. 
Um, and Justin, the martyr, said this. He says, no matter what you say with your lips, even if his name is on your lips, if your life does not display faithfulness to his teaching, then you don't actually believe. And I would just say, this is what we aspire to as a community. It's not to be a group of people who simply come together on Sunday and sing songs to God, but to actually be people who have been shaped by him rather than shaped by the systems of the world, the philosophies of the world, to have our minds and our hearts renewed by Jesus. So I just, I just want to remind us, like the Sermon on the Mount, it's not, it's not like pithy sayings. It's not mushy feelings about how the world would be if everything was perfect. It actually offers the only way to be faithful to Jesus in the world, the real Jesus, not the one of our imagination or our desire, not Jesus who's our homeboy, Jesus, the risen Lord of all creation, the one who sits at the right hand of the throne right now. Him, the way to be faithful to him is to obey his commands. And so we have to be confronted by those things and, and um, allow ourselves to come under the wisdom of Jesus, his commands. So with all of that said, let's dig in. Matthew 5, verse 33. If you've got your Bible, you can turn there on your phone app. It says, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Jesus is, is doing kind of a... Um, He's collecting a couple different sayings from the Old Testament and putting them together. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it's the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. It's fascinating. Jesus is saying this uh, uh, really particularly like this countercultural command in that time. And, and obviously Jesus isn't the first teacher to show up and say that you should tell the truth. This ethics all over the Hebrew scriptures about um, removing falsehood from our life. What he's doing is he's challenging a culture that had arisen in Judaism about taking oaths and about making grand proclamations about what we're going to do, but at the same time failing to perform them and then building this scaffolding of excuses around which promises, which oaths are okay to let go and which oaths do you actually have to perform on, right? So, so they would say, well, here's a promise. If you swear by the altar, Jesus addresses this in, in later in Matthew, he's like, if you swear by the altar, you can be released. But if you swear by the gift on the altar, you're bound. And Jesus is like, this is all ridiculous. Like, so what I love is Jesus is, is constantly tearing down the complexities of religion, Religion likes to make things really complex. Jesus likes to make things really simple, but difficult, right? I don't mean easy when I say simple. I, mean, I just mean they're, they're simple. It's easy, actually, to understand. And I think sometimes we, we get in and we, we have that spirit of the Pharisees that says, like, if we just kind of continually ask, did he really mean that? Does it really mean this? What about this? We like to add, like, uh, so one author said, it's like the Pharisees had this ethic to keep on posing questions so as to avoid obedience. If we can just keep discussing in our small group, what did Jesus really mean? Rather than actually trying to practice it and actually putting ourselves in positions to do those things um, out of that, that book I mentioned earlier, they said early Christian theologians and catechists lived in a world in which oaths were sworn on all kinds of occasions, in business as well as in law courts. They were sworn because, quote, oaths were the very foundation of society. According to uh, Lycurgus, the legendary lawgiver of 4th century Athens, oaths were the power that holds society together. 
So this is actually a really important thing that Jesus is challenging both um, in Judaism and in Roman culture because Jesus is saying, actually, it's not oaths that hold society together, it's me. <laughs> like, I hold society together and I hold your life together and I'm asking you not to go with the stream of culture in this. And it says, early Christians descended from this ancient commonplace for what they considered good reasons. They at times argued that an experience, oath-taking, didn't lead to a truthful society. So what they're saying is, is just because you swore an oath doesn't mean you're going to perform it. And it's kind of this thing about, you know, they've done lots of studies that if you make a New Year's resolution, you shouldn't tell anybody. Because your brain gives you the same reward from telling somebody what you're going to do as you get from actually doing it. So many times when you tell them their resolution, you get the dopamine hit and you feel really good and then you don't perform it. It doesn't feel any different. Right? So they're like, no, no, don't tell anybody and just go and do it. You know, it's kind of that thing about would anybody run a marathon if you didn't get a sticker, right? Like to put on your car to let everybody know that you're like 13.1. I'm like, good for you, 13.1. I'm driving my minivan. You know, it's like, um, right? But it's this thing about this, like want to make this, this massive proclamation about the oaths we're making to God, and Jesus says, don't do that. <laughs> it's important, that I think, just to remember how important this was, one of the, the martyrs of the early church, Apollonius, put it this way. He says, we have been ordered by him, by Jesus, never to swear an oath and in all things to tell the truth. It is already considered a great oath when truth is affirmed by a yes. Hence, it is wicked for Christian to swear, for from deceit comes distrust, and through distrust in turn comes the oath. Isn't this interesting? So an oath is actually based on distrust. I have to make an oath because you think I'm distrustful and I think you're distrustful. So we have to enter into this contractual oath to make sure that we both tell the truth. And Jesus says, not so with Christians. For Christians, every yes is a promise. And it should be the most dependable promise anyone's ever Received. So early Christians had this sense that Jesus' teachings were practicable. They were expressions of wisdom that enabled solutions, new solutions for society's problems. And this was displayed like in business, where early Christians were instructed to give one price for something and to stick to it. Right? Christians were, de- were commanded to not haggle over items. Be honest. Make one price. And when they meet your price, don't change it. Um, I, I love there's, I heard a story about a, a guy, I think he was in North Carolina, he's a car dealer, and he read this study about how people uh, who come from poverty are more likely to pay more for cars than people who have, are educated and have money. Because they just don't know how to negotiate, they don't know the rules of the game, so they get in a room with someone and they end up paying a higher price even though they have less money. So this Christian man decided he was going to make one price for cars. And you come to his dealership and you say, here's the price of the car, here's everything, everybody gets the same price, there's no negotiating. And I just thought, what a brilliant thing. He's like, that's letting his yes be yes. This is the thing. (laughs) Here's what you'll pay and I will not change it if I think I can get more from you. This was part of the practice of Christians um, related directly to the Sermon on the Mount. So what, what does this mean for us, right? What does this mean for us today in modern society where, where oaths don't hold this kind of central place, right? I, I would say we've probably replaced the oath with a contract. We have a contractual society, so we can sign contracts with each other to guarantee that we'll do things. But So I, I was just really praying about this. Jesus, how can we make this applicable and simple in, in, our, in our real terms? And so what I'm going to go through today is, is not exhaustive, right? Um, it's not every piece of how this might affect your life, but I, I think just in a couple really easy, um, simple ways. And the first one is just, 
I think Christians are called by this text to live with a simplicity of speech that sets us apart from the world. Let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. Be clear in the things you say, right? So, so James said this way in James 4. He says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a town and spend a year there and make a trade and make a profit, yet you don't even know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? <laughs> for you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, your boast is arrogant and all such boasting is evil. Proverbs 10:19 says, when words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. <laughs> where, where words are many, transgression abounds. This is like one of the hardest lessons of my life is this lesson right here. It's just simplicity in speech. Like I've gotten in trouble mostly when I talk too much mostly when I overpromise, mostly when I think I can do more than I'm capable of and I make promises that just outstrip my ability to perform. So just a few things like, and, and again, these are not like, these aren't gonna rock your world, but I think, I think they can make your life um, easier and in many ways less dramatic. <laughs> it can avoid uh, lots of conflict that's unnecessary. So one is say what you mean, right? Say what you mean, mean what you say. If you say something, make sure you mean it. Christians should, should avoid at such high cost, like, like frivolous talk, saying things that we don't actually know that we mean it, but we're just talking, right? And so I have to be really careful of this because I'm a futurist and I'm a visionary. And so Annie had to learn um, in our marriage and I had to, we had to like come to the middle here where I would talk about the future and think about an idea as if I was already living it. And she's like making plans to like sell that, like we're gonna have to move. We're gonna, and I'm like, no, 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 I'm just like, in my head, I'm just like having ideas. And she's like, don't do that. Like, <laughs> please. Or it, just tell me that you're doing that. So I can just like put my headphones on and you can just dream about the world and all the different things you could do, right? So say what you mean. mean what you say. When you sit in front of somebody, like, like flattery is the way of the world, guys. Jesus never practiced flattery. He never flattered anyone. He gave compliments when he meant it. And he didn't say anything, I'm sure, in many ways when, when there was nothing kind to say. Um, one of the things I, I've been working on in my life is to be direct and gentle. And that's actually possible. For most of us, many times, we're direct but not gentle or we're gentle but not direct. And both things cause confusion and allow lots of space for people to be misunderstood. And, and, uh, and it's interesting how personality kind of dictates this a little bit. My nature is to be direct, Right? but my nature is not to be gentle, and so I'm just working on just being slow to speak and being really careful about how, what I say, but also not to try to mince words, right? Just to say actually what I mean and what I think needs to be said, but in a really gentle way. And some of you here, you're, you're just gentle, you're trying to avoid conflict, but you're not saying what you mean. And it's actually causing hurt. It's actually causing misunderstanding. It's not actually helpful to avoid conflict in that way. Um, Jesus never avoided conflict. He just kind of like went right in, but he never like bashed people with his words either. Well, maybe the Pharisees every once in a while. So religious people, he kind of hammered a little bit. But, uh, so I, I think sometimes we avoid simple speech to avoid awkward situations, uh, to, to avoid hurting people's feelings. At worst, I think we avoid simple speech to manipulate, to get our way. 
We know if we're careful with our words, if we're careful about what we commit to, if we'll say things a certain way, if we'll lead the conversation a certain way, we'll get what we want and the other person will think that they got what they wanted and they won't realize till later that they didn't because we are so skilled with our words that we led them down a path that they didn't actually want to go. And then what happens? Hurt, anger, broken relationship, conflict. Um, it's interesting because we had a counselor recommend to us this book, uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Anybody read that book? Anybody? It's an awesome book, and I would highly recommend it except for some of the things that it says. It says to, like, never criticize anyone, like, never disagree, which is, like, great. I I agree with that, all those things, but I, I do think there's a point where it actually encourages you to not tell the truth. And I think you have to be careful that we're not taking a philosophy of the world that says avoid the truth to avoid conflict. And when I say truth, I don't mean hammer people with the truth. Like, if you ever met a Christian who just thinks they're like the, the truth police? And they're just running around hammering people with what they call the truth. And you're just like, first of all, it's not that clear <laughs> that you're truthful or have the truth. And second of all, the way you bring the truth is wrong. So, so even if you're right, you can be wrong, Right? But I think in cases where we avoid simple speech, people get hurt. And then when it gets discovered that you didn't use simple speech, that you did have an alternative motive, people then think you're just lying. Right? They, they don't realize you're actually trying to avoid hurting their feelings or you're trying, to man, you were, you were trying your best, but it, it just come, it came across as like manipulation. And that doesn't honor God. Uh, one of the things James tells us here is that our speech should be really humble, every word, since every word we utter is uttered in the presence of God. So we realize that, right? Every word we utter is literally, in, it's, it's like bouncing around the throne room of God. God's not fooled. God's not absent. God doesn't have earmuffs on. He, he's listening to what's happening in the world, and our speech should be humble. And I, I've learned this. Uh, when you're young, you love grand proclamations, Right? I will never do this, right? Especially about things that we haven't yet experienced. When I get married, this will never happen, right? When I, when I have kids, man, they won't be watching movies and do all this stuff. And now we're like, oh, Lord, just watch an iPad so I can just <laughs> sleep a little bit, right? And, and isn't it fascinating that most of our grand proclamations are actually come across as judgments to other people? Because right? you've made a grand proclamation about something you will or will not do, and someone who has or is doing that thing hears that, and it's crushing. So Paul says this in Romans. He says, hey, stop passing judgment on each other. For one of you eating this food is fine, and for another it feels like sin. And so be really careful what you say about this life, because it's not that simple. And because everything we do has a human being on the other side of it who's loved by God. Right? So everything you say actually has the child of the Almighty God on the other end that you have to say, God really cares about how this person is taking what I'm saying. And so what I've tried to do in the last few years is just to make no grand proclamations about life. I'm just like, I, I'm just like today, Lord, help me survive today. And if I get to tomorrow, I'll try to figure that thing out and we'll work as hard as we can to be faithful, but I just don't have a lot of... Um, a lot of grand ideas anymore. And I think it was uh, Annie's grandpa, and I might butcher this, so Blake or Lance Campbell, he was like, he said, I had zero kids and I had lots of parenting advice and then I had five kids and I have zero, like, parenting advice. 
And I love that. So like, just wait, just wait. Because guess what? Life has a way of like beating those things out of us. The things we thought were super important just aren't actually important anymore. And it's not worth hurting another person. Uh, so simplicity of speech. What if we just practice directness of speech, gentle, keeping our words few because we know that God is listening. We know that our words actually build things. There's a great sermon by Bill Johnson where he says, our words build thrones. <laughs> our words actually like build something in the world. So what are our words building? Is it being true to God? The second, after simplicity of speech, is just the real thing that I just think it's the power of a promise. Your yes, when you say yes to something, you're actually making a promise before God. Because Jesus says, let your yes be like an oath. You shouldn't need an oath. Every time you say yes, you're making a promise. Every time you say no, you're actually making a promise. And here's what I think. I think Christians should be the most dependable people on earth. When a Christian tells you yes, I mean, it should be like it's sealed in blood. Because we live before God. We live really humbly, like being really careful the things we say yes to and the things we say no to and the things we make statements about. And this morning, I had just a real clear sense that God was asking me to say this. And I just want to say, for those of us in this room who hold privilege and power and wealth, you have to be extremely careful about this. Because you're able to get out of your promises without consequences. Right? So if you're the more powerful person and you cancel a lunch, the person's like, oh, well, I was lucky to even get a lunch you know, with that guy. So that's oh, fine, blah, 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 right? But when you have no power, it's amazing how much consequence there is for getting this wrong. For saying, yes, you could do something and then you fail to fulfill it and somebody's like, oh, they're not dependable. Can't trust them. They won't show up. They didn't follow through. How many times, oh, they, they, just, you know, they didn't follow through. But it's like when you have the power, you have all these reasons for, oh, I got really busy, you know, emails, I was catching up, I was doing all these things. Or I had this business deal I, I thought I was going to say yes to and we had all these plans and I just backed out. But when you have power, you can back out, right? So I, I just want to say, in the body of Christ, th- there is a, a flat table. <laughs> and there's nobody at the head but Jesus. We're all there. And we have to be really careful about power dynamics. And I just want to say, our speech creates power dynamics. And how we relate to our speech either deals with those power dynamics in ways that honor Jesus or, or actually brings the systems of the world into the body. And so I, I just want to say, and I, I, I don't want that to mean harsh, um, but I, I just want to say, if you have privilege and wealth and power, and you have, by God's hand, made a life where people listen to you, people want to meet with you, people want to hang out with you, people want to learn from you, be really careful the things you say yes to, right? And when you say yes just fulfill your promise and don't use your power as an excuse to get out of things. Fulfill your commitments. So with that, I just felt this, this clear sense of Jesus telling me, be slow to promise and be quick to fulfill. <laughs> In many ways, under-promise and over-deliver, just always. Just don't over-promise. And I'm, I'm the person who wants to help everyone and wants to see everything go well. And so I've had to be really careful. And I'm in a season of life, and maybe some of you are in this, where I feel like I, I, I just have more things going on. I have six children. Um, and so I, I don't have a lot of capacity right now. So I have to be really careful the things I say yes to because I can make myself into an undependable person because I've overcommitted myself. 
and the extrapolation of myself from those overcommitments is always painful for the other side, right? And so I want to be slow to promise and quick to fulfill. But I also, the other thing I don't want to do is to avoid making any promises, right? So that's not what Jesus is saying. Don't make any promises. Don't implicate yourself in any way. It's like, no, 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 no. Like, you, you should be in the world being implicated in other people's lives, other people's uh, problems, other people's stuff, but just being wise, just being careful. So, so I think what can happen is we can build such a boundaried life that we have nothing claiming on ourselves where Jesus says, walk through the world and if somebody asks you, give to them. Someone asks you to walk a mile, walk two. If somebody wants your coat, give them your cloak as well. Jesus isn't saying live this boundaried life. No, no. He's just saying be careful with your words and what that does. And, and I just want to say there's no scale. So um, what happened in the Jewish world was there's like this scaled promises, right? So at this top level of promises you can't get out of and at the bottom level of promises you can't get out of. And Jesus just said, no, no, no. I don't care how small. If you made a promise to your son or daughter, fulfill it. And I've had to really work on this as a parent. So I'm like, yeah, we'll go play ball, son. And then I'm like, get busy. I'm like, oh, just wait a little bit. Right, right. And I'm working really hard. If I tell them we're going to do something, I keep my promise. Like with my kids, I'm trying to let my yes be yes. If I say yes, we're going to do it. I'm not going to make any excuses to get out of it. And I will sacrifice so that this will come to pass. So here's what I think. I think Christians should be known by their radical truthfulness. We should just be the ones telling the truth. It's, it's amazing how much Christians go into the world proclaiming that we possess the truth and how many times our lives don't actually match the truth that we claim to possess. So let, let's, let's tell the truth with our lives. And it's interesting, even the last few weeks, sexual formation is basically Jesus saying, tell the truth with your body. Have you guys heard of the term sexual fraud? So sexual fraud is making a promise with your body that you're not willing to match with your life. So making a promise to another being by becoming one flesh with them that's saying, I promise to be one with you, and then when the time comes, say, no, 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 I'm out. Right? So Christians are people who tell the truth with our bodies. Right? We don't lead people on. We tell the truth with our relationships. When we get in a relationship with somebody, we don't leave when it gets hard. Right? When we're friends with somebody and they mess up, we don't walk out. We stay for all the hard stuff. And with our words, we're known by a radical truthfulness. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, there's no truth towards Jesus without truth towards man. Untruthfulness destroys fellowship, but truth cuts false fellowship to pieces and establishes genuine fellowship. We cannot follow Christ unless we live in revealed truth before God and man. And here's the thing, I, I just think if we have fellowship um, based on the lack of truthfulness, then it's not really fellowship. That's what Dietrich Bonhoeffer is saying. But when somebody shows up and actually tells the truth, you get the true test of like, are we actually friends now? Because <laughs> I, I sat in front of you and just I, gently but directly told the truth. How did you receive it? And I love uh, our friend Caleb uh, taught us a couple years ago about how they work in their business, that they, they, they really practice telling the truth in love, right? Confronting in love and receiving in humility. Right? So that's what Christians do is we tell the truth in love. We don't use the truth like a hammer. We don't use it to beat people up. So what's interesting is, is most of the time when the Pharisees wanted to bring truth, Jesus brought grace. Right? When they were like, oh, 
She's going to get nailed by the truth right here. We caught this lady. We're going to toss her before Jesus. She's just going to get the truth of the law. And Jesus just showered grace. So we have to have the wisdom of Jesus to know when is, when is truth needed and when is grace needed. Because grace leads you to the truth. We have to trust that. <laughs> the grace of Jesus poured out always leads us to the truth. It reveals the truth. So I'm going to invite the band back up. We're going to sing and just have a, just a moment of response. Um, so if you'd stand to your feet, I'm going to pray for us. And I just want to ask you to consider a couple of questions. Um, where are you at in your life in relation to this practice of telling the truth in really simple ways? Simplicity of speech. Because some of us, I just, I just know in my own heart, I have acquired ways of speaking that don't come from Jesus. They actually come from the world. And I need to be confronted on that. I need to repent. I need to relearn how to operate in a way that values human beings the way that Jesus values them. If you were to evaluate your life, how, how truthful is your speech? How are you doing with making grand proclamations about the life, about your life, about other people, about God? How, how is your speech affecting your... So just take a little bit of an of, of a, uh, inventory of your relationships. And maybe you even have some broken relationships in your life, and you can go back and say, man... I, I can see now how the way I related in speech to that person actually didn't bring the truth. It actually brought condemnation and judgment. So maybe you actually just need to like, ask for forgiveness from God, from that person. Um, but I think what we long for here is to be a community that just tells the truth, that lives in the truth, that embodies the truth, and that we're a community that's extremely careful with our words, that our words are seasoned, as the scriptures say, with grace the grace of Jesus. So I'm gonna pray for us. Trent's gonna lead us in a song and we'll wrap up. So Holy Spirit, I just pray in this moment that if there's anyone who needs to be comforted, you would comfort. That if any need to be taught, that you would teach. That if anyone needs guidance, you would guide. That if we need conviction, about our speech that you would bring conviction. So we just open ourselves to you. We want to be like Jesus. We want to walk in his ways. So we want to live in a way that our speech brings honor to him and brings grace and compassion and growth to our neighbor. So Holy Spirit, help us this morning. Jesus, I thank you that... Um, this work that you're doing in our lives, even though sometimes it's painful, it's so good. It's so good. So we just honor you in that. We just declare you're good. We declare that your commands are good, even when they're hard, even when they're difficult. We just say they're good and we long for them. We long to live with you in the truth. So come today and sanctify us by your truth, Jesus. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So let's sing.